And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, June 20th, at least as we record this, a late afternoon recording. Construction has stopped for the day, so podcasting has begun on this episode. We'll discuss several hitters you should consider making moves for in leagues that allow trading. Many of them are really technically buy-high players, guys that have exceeded expectations so far, but players whose actual trade value might still lag behind their rest-of-season value. So we'll dig into a lot of those players in addition to a few mailbag questions as well. You know, how's it going for you on this Monday afternoon? Good. I uh, am fully clear of the virus, and well, I, I don't know. It depends on what test you take. PCR, I guess, ninety days or something. But I feel good, and I shaved, so I've got this nice, fresh-faced look. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you, you look you look well. The running schedule is back on. I've got to get to a half marathon. By the end of July, that's I signed up for the San Francisco one. So, well, I've spent enough time looking at the Hal Higdon website where you can get free running training programs uh, that ah. are really good. They're broken down by day for any skill level, right? So, you want to do a 5K, like couch to 5K, they've got that. If you're a little more advanced, they got that. They got half marathons. And I know how far you've been running. What's the key for that program? What, what's the how would you describe it sort of quickly? It's alternating your kind of base distance runs with some tempo runs and then training up close. Your long run day once a week gets close to the distance you're going to race at, but Mm -hmm. actually comes up about, I think for a half marathon, 13 miles and change. You you can get get to to like like 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, The program gets you to about 10. That's about, that's sort of what I've been doing. Uh, recently, Recently, I read a, a a new one that's about, it's called Running Slow to Run Fast. Hmm. And for that one, uh, they're like, you should be not monitoring your pace. Uh, you should be monitoring your heart rate. And that's been very interesting to me coming off of COVID because there are these sort of heart implications. And so um, that one has been tough for me to integrate because they want me to run at a 140 uh heart rate and in order to do like my five mile run at 140 i have to run at like a 10 minute pace so i'm running it's really slow and very slow yeah maybe that's just because i'm coming off of covid and my heart is just you know getting back up to speed um because earlier what it wasn't that slow um but it does you know there's actually a, a a a time limit to the half marathon when you do it with other people 
they like shut the course down after like two and a half hours. So I have oh, to yeah. actually, I have to do it within sort of 10 minutes per mile, a little bit more than that. Uh, middle of the southern that I could manage. So um, I'm kind of stuck between these two training mechanisms, but um, I had been doing really well with this sort of you know, alternating tempo with like sprint runs and long runs and kind of attacking it that way. And, uh, and I just gotten to 10 right before I got COVID. I ran a 10, um, you know, like two or three weeks ago. So I feel like, uh, I only have like six weeks to go. I think I might abandon this run slow to run fast, uh, technique if, uh, if I have to get ready for this half marathon, but you know, kind of uh, an interesting look at running, I think, because, you know, we have these different coaching mechanisms um, and uh, it, it's the same thing in baseball. You know, I was just looking at the at the fact that Anthony Rizzo, you know, had a homer today. Uh, he's been a huge part of my my labor uh, team being in first place. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess he's a, a buy high for me because he's just doing everything right under the under the hood. But at 230 uh, batting average, I wasn't sure if we should put him on the list because, you know, there's some people who are going to look at that and say, am I really buying high or am I buying low? <laughs> like, what's going on with this 230 batting average? Is he really going to do that? Well, I looked under the hood, like, he is, I think, in the top seven or so when it comes to um, adding barrels year over year. But so are John, in the top 25, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, and Anthony Rizzo. It's five guys from one team in the top 25. Um, and, you know, they did just change their hitting coach. So that sort of makes me think of this, um, this running phenomenon. Joey Gallo is not playing well. <laughs> and the, 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 the Yankees as a group are reaching more. You know, they're chasing more outside of the zone. And we know that hitting coaches have the most effect on swing or don't swing, patience or aggressiveness. And I kind of feel like this new hitting coach has come in and been like, let's be aggressive. Hit strikes hard is their thing. But, you know, if they're reaching it, you know, if they're chasing more than they used to, then they're also being aggressive and swing hard at non-strikes too right so you know that his whole you know lawson he's a great hitting coach it seems to be working really well but it's working really well for the five guys who were kind of patient before right and do have a good sense of balls and strikes right and those five guys have gotten more aggressive and are barreling more and are having great seasons i think i would buy a high on any of those guys um but uh it's not the same approach is really not working for Joey Gallo, who is chasing at pitches outside the zone. It's almost like the run fast, run fast, run slow thing where he's just like, nope, no, this is not working for me. The <laughs> weird thing, though, with Joey Gallo is the last time he got to 40 home runs in a season, not that he was far from it last year, he had 38 a year ago. But the last time he actually hit 40, he had an O swing percentage that was up above 30 percent. But right now, mm. yeah, he's 10 percentage points above where he's been each of the last two seasons in O-swing percentage. So there's a big jump in, in how much he is Easily career high, those right? pitches. Yeah. It's, it's right around the levels he was at in 17 and 18. So it's not unprecedented. And those were good years for Gallo, you know, relatively speaking. Right? He was about a three-win player in both of those seasons. And in terms of WRC+, plus, he was above average. He's barreling well this year. It's just... Um... A cratering of the uh, of the of the batting average on balls in play and the worst strikeout rate of his career. 
Are they pulling the ball more as a team, too? Because I saw Rizzo was up a bit in pull rate. Gallo has pulled the ball more than pretty much Gallo he has at any me. point He's this like, season. I can't wait for them to ban the shift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me have uh, let me look at team leaders in pull rate. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they are near the top here. Let's see. Pull percentage. Number one are the Giants. Uh, and then the Twins. Yankees are 10th. Hmm. Um, but uh, they have some different players. It's, it's interesting because you you do something like this, and it's like you know you're looking at all the players in one in one grouping, and you know Isaiah kind of Falefa is probably not pulling the ball that much. You know? No, it's not really his game, right? So um, you know, uh, more a, a more uh, detailed look would be like how many of the guys, uh, the sluggers in particular, are up uh, year over year in terms of pull rate. Yeah. I would agree. I think that's the the better way to look at it. But as far as Rizzo goes, I think he sort of fits in this group, which is kind of a funny group. It's a lot of players that are oatmeal-y, as we'd like to say on this show. Many of these players, I don't think anyone we're going to talk about had an April ADP inside the top 100 overall. So to varying degrees, these were underrated or underappreciated players. And we'll start with CJ Crone. $36 $36 earned so far, according to the Rotowire Earn Calculator. I was running that for 15-team mixed leagues. That's tied for 10th among all players. CJ Crone, top 10 player so far as we sit here on June 20th. Now, I don't think you or I or anyone listening to the show expects that to continue to the point where we're going to be looking at that earn value calculator three and a half months from now and say, yeah, he did it. He maintained it all year. But for someone who was outside the top 100, kind of in that 110 to 120 range in most drafts, kind of fringe top 10 for the position, you'd probably trade for something that sort of splits the difference cost-wise between what he's earned so far and what people thought he was worth on draft day. And I guess I'm curious to know if you think that's a good idea. Do you think that's an appropriate sort of approach for Crone, factoring in the possibility that maybe the Rockies move on from him? I mean, that's... And, And... and the possibility that, you know, the, with this kind of wobbly combination of plate skills, a 26.9% K rate with a 5.6% walk rate, that's not It's also great. weird. It's not what he used to do in the past. In the past, he's ma- he's either made more contact or had more patience. It's kind, of, uh, it's kind of a weird combination given what he had been doing. He had been kind of improving his uh, chase percentage. Um, and had been kind of uh, and 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 had put that paired that with a decent he has a decent natural ability to make contact he you know he's not like your prototypical slugger um, except for you look at that twenty seven percent strikeout rate this year and you say what are you talking about but you know for his career twenty three percent strikeout rate that's like basically league average you know um, so he's not really you know Galloian he also doesn't pull the ball as much as those guys and he kind of sprays the ball and he takes advantage of cores. So, you know, generally, I liked him going into the season. I like uh, his production so far. I think that his strikeout rate will will uh, come down. His walk rate will come up. And those factors will undo some of the fact that he's been a little, maybe a little bit lucky given that plate approach. I think what you said there um, about the, the Rockies moving on, that's the biggest key. Um, and I think that it makes him basically an all or nothing play, right? Like you either trade for him and he remains a Rocky and then he, then you won, 
and you, and you got what you needed and you're going to get 275 and 18 more homers, right? Mm-hmm. Or you trade for him and the Rockies trade him. <laughs> and then, uh, and especially if he goes to somewhere uh, where, you know, the runs are suppressed, then you, you may get a 230 version uh, with, you know, 12 to 14 homers. I mean, I think that's how far it could go if he doesn't, he's not in, Colorado so you know in anticipation of that I I kind of looked at the payroll and he's uh, you know under contract for seven million and seven and a half million next year Um, so you know they do have him under control that's a decent salary Uh, they have as a team according to Fangraphs uh, about 130 million dollar payroll last year uh, next year Uh, so they could hold on to him if they thought they were being competitive, right? But the you know the question then is, do they think they're competitive, and you know they're moving in the right direction? Uh, and does the new GM want to start selling in his first year? There's no guarantee of a trade here because of that last year still remaining. And I just think you're talking about a 32 year old first baseman. It's yeah, not right. Really, the kind of player teams are going to trade for having that extra year. So he might be in Colorado all year, and you might have people in your league I who think, have him that think he's going to he's going to get traded, and that's going to keep the price down. I think it might be eighty twenty that he stays because I was also then trying to admit, trying to find uh, uh, trade partners. Who are the trade partners? Padres and every the time Padres, the first baseman comes up, every single I, time. <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, but I mean, they could use another bat, DH first base, whatever. Um, Voight's been waking up. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's not even a, they like somebody with more defensive versatility might be better. Like Josh Bell, who's in the last year of his contract. Um, you know, that might be a better fit. Um, you know, they also been in love with Nelson Cruz. So I'd say that's, there's a little bit of possibility there, but maybe not much. The Red Sox. You know, Cassis is hurt. Dahlbeck is not playing well. The Red Sox are 36 and 31, 13 and a half out of the division lead. And right now, I guess tied for the second wild card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd be on that list. Houston, Yuli Gurriel's not playing well. So I would put the Red Sox in for, yeah, if it doesn't cost us much, right? Well, if it doesn't cost you much, why are the Rockies trading him? Like, if they're just going to get, like, some A-ball arm that's, like, you know, the 25th best prospect for the Red Sox and save $7.5 million? $7.5 million is right at that line where you're like, are you saving or are you giving up, you know, a, a, t- a player that's controlled under under his cost? I don't think he moves. I, I'm on the he doesn't actually get traded side. So I think this this ends up being... Probably the best season of Crone's career, based on the groundwork he's laid so far, and trading for him now does. And somebody make a might lot just look at that Babip and say, "Oh, you know, he's going to hit two thirty from here on out." But I'd be like, "Yo, I mean, Babip and, and Coors—that's the whole thing." Yeah, you get that extra juice from those balls in play. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm going to ask you this just straight up. Did I whiff on Adelise Garcia? <laughs> like I, All I did was poo-poo the idea that he could repeat what he did last season because I had yeah. looked at the, the K rate over 30%, the low walk rate, and it's I said, bad chase no rate. way. No way. No way he keeps the job all season. There's going to be some point during the year when he strikes out too much, and even though he's a good defender, it's just not going to be enough. The Rangers are going to move on play Tavares or somebody else in this system is going to come up and play in the outfield. He's basically doing the exact same thing he did last year. He's cut the K rate a little little bit, bit, still has the same O swing percentage, putting the ball in the air a little more often, more efficient as a base dealer. He's 11 for 13 as a base dealer. So yeah, the overall body of work, he was a league average hitter last year at 243, 286, 454. He's 17% better than league average at 253, 294, 474. Just a little better across the board. Are we buying this? Is this just an improvement from a player that got a full season's worth of reps last year and and still hasn't picked up even a thousand plate appearances in his big league career? He's 29. He has an awful approach at the plate. It's all tools, it seems. But he's refined some stuff, you know, like he, he you know, like the, just think about this, this, what you mentioned about working on the base pass, right? Right. And I brought him up on the 3-0 show last week as someone that better than people realize and probably very tradable. Because if you're looking for a versatile outfielder who's a good defender, a guy you can put in center or play in right, depending on who you already have in center field, and you need that extra thump in your lineup. It's not the best possible solution, but it's a solution. And I don't know how committed the Rangers really are to him long term, even though he's not a free agent until after 2026. But this is the type of profile that gets non-tendered before the player gets the free agency. Usually, yeah. Uh, the one thing I would say is that the other possible short uh, center fielders in their system are not playing well. Um, I mean, you have Leotis Tavares, who's up. And you could look at that 294, 335, 485 line in AAA and say, oh, he's he's got it together. That was That's league average in AAA. So you'd still be projecting to be uh, behind, I think, Garcia offensively. And, uh, and Garcia's uh, decent enough defensively where if you're in Texas, maybe say, hey, like we like, let's just let's just play this guy while we got him, you know, and like wait till the next center fielder comes up through our system. Like why, why trade him away when we're trying to build? And this is the guy who's probably the best center fielder we got right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Brian Reynolds and Cedric Mullins are among other actual center fielders that could be moved that bring a lot more ceiling, but there's a handful of of contending teams that could use a significant upgrade in that spot. So I, I think it just depends on what they can get in the return even if they don't have a, a clear-cut 
ready-made replacement. Just given his age, given the profile, and given the long-term approach that the league has towards players like Garcia. You know what it reminds me of offensively is Javier Baez. Yeah, there's quite a bit of, of that in the profile just because of the, the O-swing percentages and the raw power, and obviously the there's, there's good speed. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just interesting because Javier Baez is 29, and we've already seen some bad seasons where you're like, this is this is what it looks like when it's bad, right? So Adolis Garcia could have a bad Javier Baez season anytime. He could go into it. Like, remember last year the what the monthly splits were like? Mm-hmm. It was extreme. The league kind of figured him out, and he never really adjusted back. But so far, he's he's figured some things out. Oh, is it is it here? Uh, first half he had a 270 average. I need to go to the advanced ones. That's first half he was 26 percent better than league average. In the second half he was 31 percent worse than league average. His second half slash line was 211, 256, 370. So I, I mean. I, I have a, a, an offer in a dynasty league where you know it's a I have a win now team, and he's on the table for me. I don't I don't want it I don't I don't I don't want to do it. Like why why won't he just go do the same thing he did last year in the second half? And I'm not just saying that I'm not saying that seasonal splits like that are predictive. I'm just saying he's super flawed, and he showed last year what can happen when people exploit the flaws in his super flawed approach, right? Yeah. Well, one thing that's been different, I don't know how meaningful this is, but if you look at the splits at baseball savant, you look at fastballs, breaking balls, off-speed pitches. Last season, just one home run against off-speed pitches. He's got five already Mm. so far this season. He's hitting 278 against off-speed stuff, slugging 778. Last year, he hit 186 and slugged 278. Whiff rate's up a little bit, but it just seems like off-speed... Gave him some issues last year. So far this year, that has not been the case. How how much can you trust that? How much is that improvement that holds? I think that's more of an open question. Yeah, I'm furiously uh, trying to look at um, how he was pitched in the second half last year. Um, and I will get something on that. Yeah, whoo, baby. He started to see some really high slider rates in the second half. Uh, in in September and October, I've got some 30s and 40s on the slider percentages, and uh, you know that's got to be a big part of it. Where he used to see some fastballs early on, and uh, started to see uh, started to see a little bit different. Uh, you know, actually, you could do this on the graphs portion. I I believe. Uh, at Fangraphs, but um, I would I wanted to do it at Brooks, but Brooks baseball, I don't know. Some of the graphs are just hard to. Have you noticed that? I haven't spent a lot of time on Brooks the last couple of years. I think ever since Savant really kind of added to its player pages, that's when I kind of cut Brooks out of my life. He's just uh, they have missing missing players. Like I think he was missing. It's not personal. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, I was a little bit wrong. He, he saw more fastballs, actually, in the second half. That's a little bit strange. Um, let me see about uh, sliders. Yeah, he saw he saw more fastballs and sliders, so he just became, they just became like a sort of a two-pitch. They had him, they had him rocking back and forth. Um, he must have just seen uh, nothing in the zone because he just has no, 
So you're worried about the possibility of the downside Javier Baez stretch for a half season, yeah, which I, I think is fair given not the plate the type skills. Of player that I'm that I'm buying. The thing that he has, though, is excess playing time and the ability to be good or at least average in every single category. Yeah. And even for a projected batting average, two thirty-five the rest of the way, kind of hard to find in the same player. Yeah, you might you might get an exceed on the stolen bases the rest of the way. Projections have him nine to ten bags. He, he might end up with twelve to fifteen. There's no reason why the Rangers can't just keep letting him run if he remains. He might get a two ten batting average though. So you know, if you are going to get him, then be be safe in batting average. Otherwise, I guess. Sure. All right. So he's he's part of this potential buy high group. Thirty three dollars earned so far this season. Uh, Tommy Edmond. I think belongs in this conversation as well. I actually just made a trade for him. I'm in a keeper league that I'm trying to win for the very first time this year. And it's an OBP league, which actually hurts Edmund a little bit, even though he is walking more than ever. Hard hit rate is up, which maybe is part of the result of the humidor we talked about on the Friday episode. A little more exit velo coming off the bat because of the drier ball. Seems like a possibility at least. Mm-hmm. And he's atop the order, right? I think one, one thing we were asked about back during draft season, someone asked us a question about Dylan Carlson and how sticky Dylan Carlson was at the very top of the order. And it turns out not as sticky as some people had hoped. Edmund has been up there, so he's piling up runs scored. Helps having Paul Goldschmidt doing what he's doing right now. Swinging less, walking more. There's, there's a lot that seems to Offenses. be going... Well, yeah. and he's eligible at second, short, and in the outfield in leagues, too. So he's not only a, a guy that is going to help you in the category that everyone sort of needs in stolen bases, he does a little bit more than that in most formats. So where are you at on Edmund, and, and how much of this step forward are you are you buying as sustainable? It's interesting. Remember when we had that, that conversation? Uh, who's Who are we comparing Edmund to? Whit Merrifield. No, no. Somebody was asking, oh, Ozzy Albies. And mm. remember, and, and we were saying that, you know, Ozzy always hit the ball harder. And, and that was meaningful. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's, what's interesting is that sometimes you can fetishize a stat, like, you know, I might do sometimes with pitching plus or, or barrel rate or whatever, or reach rate, any of the things that, that I kind of excessively uh quote here on this on this and sometimes you can fetishize it and you can forget about all the other things he does well you know and uh edmund is really good at making contact um and uh he you know he sprays except for last year when he was kind of pull heavy uh he sprays the ball around and he's fast so he's going to have a good batting average most seasons um and if you compare it to league average he's always going to have a good batting average uh, and he has he does enough with the barrel rate uh, to to hit for enough power uh, that he's not a full zero there. So um, and then you know at 27 he's right in the in the peak range uh, to to have the best season of his of his career right. So uh, you know there's all these other things he does well you know to 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 say that he has a bad barrel rate uh, I think uh, probably looks looks past a lot of these positive things that he does. I think that's fair, and I think it also, the way you were describing Edmund is, I think, part of why I was so adamant that Adelise Garcia didn't belong on my teams, right? Like the K-rate, I'm just obsessed, Mm. this K-rate's too high. Well, 
look at the underlying numbers. What happens when he hits it? Right, last season he was 85th percentile in max exit velo. He was 80th percentile in average exit velo. He was 83rd percentile in this sprint is speed. Or, or, uh, yeah, 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 at least uh, yeah, he was really good last year. He was 77th yeah. percentile in, in barrel percentage. All of those things are good. Like, so, at what point do you just pick a flaw and get obsessed with it? I think Garcia is a good example of that happening for me. I think Edmund is a broader example of that happening to a lot of people because I seem to remember a lot of tweets and clips and people just being generally out on Edmund at the price for a variety of different reasons. And here we are. He's been one of the best hitters in Roto so far. Of the three we've talked about so far, is he easily the one you like the most just because of the, the stolen base plus like good OBP or better OBP skills combo? You know, he fits a lot of what I like in a hitter. It's just, I like discipline. I like contact. Um, and I, I honestly, I, I would rather, I mean, I guess I, if you're trying to get out of lease, like he's going to cost less than getting Tommy Edmund. A but lot I think less, it, yeah. I think in this case, I would pony up and, and buy the safer guy. For, you know, there was a, a piece of research from Jeff Zimmerman that said that, like, you know, guys that are projected for a 650 OPS uh, lose playing time. And, you know, Jeff Zimmerman is the the god of playing time, and he's he's doing really, really well in NFBC this year. Um, and uh, uh, if if you look at the projections uh, for Tommy Edmond, he's safely clear of that 650, you know? All of his projections uh, are for a 700 OPS or better and 750. So you have to think of like things probabilistically, right? If somebody's projected for just a, like a 650 OPS, then they're probably, then half the seasons, they don't clear that bar and they lose their playing time, right? That's the sort of mile straw level, I think. Um, I, I said all that without looking at uh, Garcia's, but Garcia's... Uh, Depends on what projection system you look at. <laughs> uh, he's a little bit closer to 700 uh, when it comes to the bat and the bat X. And uh, this, that means uh, at least a quarter of the time he's not he's not making the 650 OPS and he's losing playing time in the second half. So there's that risk you have to, to bake into this whole thing. Um, you, you, you see it differently? You'd rather pay less for Adelis? No, I, I, I think... Because of my, probably because of my own biases, similar to yours, I think Edmund has more things I look for in a a consistent and good hitter, and I'm trying to figure out if that's just a flaw in my game or if that's actually the right sort of approach. But I'm with you 100%. Trading for Edmund is going to cost you a lot more than trading for Garcia, and you might find that the difference in stolen bases is relatively small. You might find that Garcia hits more home runs than Edmund the rest of the way. The run RBI mix, I mean, sure, Edmund's going to score more runs. At least Garcia might drive in more runs, so you might you might be surprised. That risk of collapse is higher. It is. It if is everything's higher. on the line and you just cannot have a collapse, the the risk of collapse is higher. For, for I would Garcia. say Garcia makes a lot of sense if you're one of those teams, if you're in a long term league, and you're not necessarily the favorite to win right now. Like you're maybe a year or two away. But you're close enough. The league's close enough. You're saying, I got to make a couple of moves. I got to take a chance at this. I don't want to give up great prospects for the future, but I'll, I'll give up a little bit of future value. I'm in fourth. I don't want to give up anything. Yeah. I want to. Garcia I wanna makes sense in, in, in that context. the water and, and, and take a home run swing that doesn't cost me the same. Yeah. Because if, if you are in that league and you're trying to get Edmund right now, it will cost you 
a nice young player or two, you know? It cost me MJ Melendez and a mid-round draft pick. So uh, cheap MJ Melendez for four to five years for basically unkeepable Tommy Edmond. That's That was the cost of trying to win a title this year. Yeah. And Garcia, we'll probably a lesser prospect. Yep, uh, 100%. Dansby Swanson popping up on this uh, kind of buy high list. Where is the extra level coming from? Value wise, but isn't yeah. it amazing? Because wasn't he on like a, a sell? Wasn't he on like a, a buy low list at some point in the season? Might have been. I mean, part of what's driven the roto value so much. He already has a career high in stolen bases. He's got eleven steals. Yeah, he had two sixteen in the in the first month. Yeah. So as that whole lineup has heated up, Dansby Swanson has heated up too probably just a better player that people have given him credit for for a few years self-included you know you look at the the red ink is where you want it to be barrel rate up in the 77th percentile so far this season he would steal more bases this year he stole 10 10 5 uh, 5 is the the shortened season so let's call that 15 9 and now he's got 11 before the all-star break before the halfway mark let's say that because the all-star break is in a weird time this year yeah, if there were any indications of it being there, I I missed them. I mean, I'm looking like sprint speed. Was that part of it? Do you think there was something with sprint speed that would have told us he was in the 82nd percentile in sprint speed last year, 90th percentile back in 2020, and 88th percentile in 2019? So consistently, you know, a well above average runner. But he got caught sometimes. I mean, he's not he's not like a he wasn't getting 10 stolen bases in 11 attempts. It was 10 out of 14, 10 out of 15, 9 out of 12 last year. I mean, he gets caught sometimes. 51 for 68 for his career, and that's with an 11 for 13 kind of helping the cause so far this year. I I don't see anything in the profile that would have led me to believe he was going to do more. He's fast. But he's been fast for enough years right. <laughs> where you could look at like that's that's where I would have talked myself out of it. I would have said maybe he's a really safe bet to get the eight to ten bags he's projected for, safer than most because of speed. Twenty five or whatever. Yeah. But why would he run more? I guess the three sixty three OBP. He's getting on base more, so you, you get on base more. You have more chances just by by that. But I didn't necessarily think he was going to get on base more. I kind of thought we knew who Dansby Swanson was as a player, and he's doing this at the exact right time. That might be the biggest part of his line that seems collapsible, right? Because he's got this 390 batting average on balls in play and this 363 OBP, career lifetime 323 OBP, right? That's that's where you're like, okay, he's he is stealing bases at a good clip. There's a big part of his value is in that. What happens if he starts getting on base at a 310 clip going forward? I mean, I guess the thing with, with Dansby, though, is that he's walked 9% of the time for his whole career. He's at 9.2% right now. He's usually within one percentage of point of that every single year. There's a lot of consistency in that part of his game. Is there something different he's doing with the batted balls that's causing this, this overall surge in production? I mean, that's the average is a career best for a full season, air quotes, because we don't have a full season yet. At 294, he hit 302 when he came up for the first time in 2016 over 38 games. But we've seen some low average seasons from Dansby. Is he why you asked if the X stats had been fixed yet? Um, I think we had a specific question about X stats too. Oh, okay. But right. I don't think they have been fixed. But uh, it's pretty amazing because he's got a 294 average and he's got a 283 XBA. And in fact... I wouldn't necessarily look at those a lot because I would say that too many people would be have too much of a negative, right? Because the ball is deader 
And so it would, you know, X stats would say, oh, everyone should be better than they are right now. Well, that's the ball. But I actually find that surprisingly close, right? 11 points of batting average with a deader ball. So, you know, he's hitting the ball harder than, you know, 46% hard hit rate. So he's hitting the ball hard a lot. Um, you know, he's found a, a good launch angle when it comes to up down and he's, he's pulling it less than he ever has. So I think he's got, there's some, some, something there where he's got the, what they say out here is that he's got the magic wandu going. Um, he's got the, he's got, he's, he's finding where to place him. To use a technical um, term. Yeah, right. So if you give him the best projected batting average on balls and play going forward, that's 323 from zips. Um, you could probably give him like a 330 OBP going forward. Um, and then maybe you could give him nine more steals. So that would be on the higher end of his projected OBP and projected steals. So you're looking at somebody who's going to end the season uh, with like a 280 batting average, uh, 22 to 23, 20, 24 homers, and 20 steals. I think this is more one you bank than you you actually try and trade for. Okay, well, that's interesting. I I think there's actually good reason to go after him. Part of that's just Atlanta's offense being, mm. even without Ozzy Albies, still being a well above average offense. Like you're going to get those great counting stats as well. And it just seems like enough has changed in that approach. Where and I mean the green lights. They're, if if they're going to let him keep running, he's going to get 20 steals. He might not get to 25, but he's going to get to 20. So you're talking about 8 to 10 more bags between now and the end of the season. Great run production, an average that shouldn't hurt you, and probably more power than we're accustomed to with that increase in hard hit rate. So I think this is one where I'm, it's more like an Edmund for me, where I'm saying, yeah, it's going to cost me more than it ever would have cost me to trade for Dansby Swanson, but this set of circumstances ticks enough boxes to where it makes sense. In a redraft situation, I could see... Uh, doing different things than in a keeper situation. Because in a keeper situation, um, let's say you don't have a good shortstop or you need another middle infielder, Swanson seems like he's very safe. He's in his mid of his middle of his career and so on. Um, and the names I'm about to say are not available, right? O'Neill Cruz and Jeremy Pena. Those guys are not available in keeper league. Right. They're just mm-hmm. like, you know, they're they're their owners are super excited. They finally, you know, they, they cashed in. They got a young shortstop with power and speed. You know, they're super into it. But in a redraft scenario, like you might be heading into a situation now where you can fab O'Neill Cruz because he just came up um, and you could just you could just spend money instead of trying to trade for him. Um, you might be in a situation in a 10 or 12 team league where Jeremy Payne has been dropped in a redraft league because he's, he was hurt and maybe someone had an IL crunch. So, you know, those two names, um, I think can do the same thing as Swanson minus a little bit here or there, but also at no cost potentially in, in certain leagues. So, uh, those are the only two names that kind of keep me from being like, yeah, yeah, go get Swanson, you know? Cause I, I also just see Swanson. We were talking about this with, with Edmund and Adoldis, like, those guys can be impact players. Swanson's more across the board. So are you serving, are you, are you fixing a need or are you just trying to get a good player? A lot of times what we find when we, you know, we have questions like we have a question coming today in the mailbag where it's like, I I have a need. Like what's the need that Swanson is going to fix for you? Batting average, maybe? 
I think what it comes back to is if you're looking at a typical team that has a, a middle infielder or a shortstop that's producing less than Dansby has so far and less than we expect him to going forward, he's the kind of guy you can easily put in as an upgrade. And you can say, I'm going to get 15 more runs and I'm going to get 12 more RBIs and five so more steals than I was. And you look and you can kind of look, go category by category and say, wow, those categories are all really close. And you can pretty easily see there are six or eight or even 10 standing points to be gained with this player. And it's all coming from a couple different places. That sort of balance, I think, is good. Maybe the, maybe the lesson today is like, don't fetishize any one category, right? Don't fetishize any one stat. Don't fetishize any one category, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. Swanson's going to be across the board, and he's going to be across the board better than Peña and Cruz. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I think there's some players that don't run that make even more sense to trade for as part of this conversation. So let's take a look at a few of these names real quick. Josh Bell, who's been a $26 player so far. Uh, Ty France is probably in a similar range in terms of overall expectations and expecting bags from those two guys you know brandon drury who came out of really nowhere his adp in april was on the list outside the top 1000 he was not just not even being thought of at that point you know, jock peterson not really going to steal many bases but getting to a ton of power and then charlie blackman is the the rare player where if you're just trying to find someone that plays a lot has good counting stats and actually will help you in batting average with a high level of confidence. Like, especially keepers, that guy. He is. Oh, you cost nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Just free. So all of those guys have been twenty plus dollar players so far, and may, maybe Jock Peterson would cost a little bit more than you'd expect in a trade. But I just I don't see any of those names and expect to have to overpay. To get those guys, and I think they could continue to exceed expectations. Yeah, without the Rockies, man, the you'd call the Dodgers. I mean, I know the Dodgers are looking for a right-hander, but they're they're playing Eddie Alvarez and being like, that's the solution uh, for Mookie Betts being out. 
I, if I were the, the Rockies, I'd be calling them and saying, hey, you know, Blackman is a free agent at the end of the season. He's not going to be around for our, our next good team. I know he's been, you know, a, a, a big part of the Rockies, but, you know, if he could get us a prospect on the way out, I think he'd be happy to go play for a good team. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I, I I like uh, the my favorite out of all those names, other than Blackman, who's uh, super cheap in keeper leagues. I think in, re- in redraft leagues, he might, um, it might be interesting. People might not want to trade him because, uh, that Coors bounce, uh, of just the fact that he offers a good batting average. Um, Josh Bell is to me, uh, my favorite, I think in both keeper and, uh, uh, redraft leagues, because I believe there's more power in there, uh, than he's got right now. And I just love the contact he's making. And I could see with the weather warming as it is, uh, he make it a little bit more, uh, he, he get a little bit more out of his barrels, um, and, and have a better, uh, better. I know that the bad X does not like his power going forward. Uh, but I've also seen, this is a guy who's had better barrel rates in his past. Um, and I just love the contact rate. So it's a guy who's, I think will hit 280, uh, with somewhere between, you know, 13 and, you know, 17 more homers, uh, the rest of the way could be really, really valuable, uh, because it's going to become with that nice batting average. So I think of those names that you mentioned, Bell is one of my favorites to go try and go get. Switch hitter too, so you know you're not as you know as likely to lose those plate appearances here and there when it comes to platooning. What do you make of of Jerickson Profar? <clears throat> because he does run a little bit and continues to play a ton, making another run at a 2010 season. Did it back in 2018 and was really on a similar pace, probably with even a little bit more speed in the shortened season in 2020 as well. Power just disappeared a season ago. Uh, what am I missing with Profar? Because uh, our buddy Nando Dufino has been pretty consistently on Profar for the better part of the last four years. And I've tried to knock it down at every single opportunity. And right now I just look wrong. Uh, well, uh, th- he does. I mean, <laughs> speaking of fetishizing stats, he does the two things that we love the best on this, uh, on this, uh, on this podcast. He, in the you know year over year, has improved his uh, rate at swinging at balls and his barrel rate in the top thirty uh, of the league. So he's 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 in the top thirty when it comes to improving those two facets of his game. And um, it's kind of amazing to me that someone who has uh, been really bad at those things in the past uh, can make a, a little bit of improvement in those in those facets and uh, uh, and and uh, and this is what you get out of it so um, I do think that uh, uh, you know some of that has gone away in fact I'm looking now and um, he's he's chasing more than than he did at the early part of the season um, but he's still kind of uh, I would say five tools, but none of them are plus. <laughs> it's like five okay tools, right? Where's the batting average for a guy that controls the strike zone this well? And it isn't, I just, I, I can't, I can't figure out why we're getting averages in the 230, 240 range from him. That's weird from the projections, from the results. I mean, it's 227 a year ago. 218 back in 2019 with Oakland, 20 homers, nine steals. I mean, so that was fine. Played enough. Counting stats weren't bad. 
why isn't he hitting for average with this approach? Yeah, because he has the five tools, but none of them are great. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's a 5% barrel rate. It's, you know, it's above average technically, but it's not necessarily for a regular. That would be uh, a kind of a poor barrel rate for a regular. And yes, he, uh, 16% strike, uh, uh, strikeout rate, that is above average. The 12% walk rate is above average. Uh, the contact rate is above average. Everything's above average, but not great. Um, and I think that sort of, uh, and then, you know, then you add the, he's pulling the ball more than he's ever pulled the ball, uh, before. And I think that he's just become a little bit more defensible, defendable. Um, and especially from the left side when he can be, uh, he can be, uh, shifted more often. Um, and he's just not a great player. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, this is the kind of player that I love to, uh, to get in mono leagues. Yeah, because they they play a lot. They give you a lot of here and here and here, and you know nobody seems to love them because they don't pop and they may not even show up. Uh, you know, as the number one guy on the depth chart, but you just know uh, they're going to get to like 500 plate appearances over the course of the season. You know, if you could have given me Profar, I don't know what he went for in labor, but if you could give me Profar for three to five dollars, I would have I would have bought him. Uh, you know, I, he would have been on my team if I had an NL labor team. Yeah, I think it's a lot more like seven to eight dollars in, but thirteen to fifteen out, and in a deep league like that, I agree with you. Though I tend to shy away from players like this uh, in in mixed formats, uh, especially the more shallow twelve and fourteen team leagues. Got a question that kind of relates to a lot of this. This came in from Ari. Ari was top three in a dynasty league. And was just wondering how much is too much to pay for steals. I lead the league across the board and runs homers and RBIs. Second in OBP, but middle of the pack in steals and slowly dropping. I know that's where I can make up the most ground, but I don't want to give up so much for someone who won't play much or who might hurt my other four categories. Earlier this year, I was offered Jorge Mateo for Kiebert Ruiz and a prospect that seemed like a lot to give up for someone who'd hurt my other categories and probably wouldn't play that much. Um, so thoughts, and uh, this again came from Ari, which kind of leads me to a couple players that made the rundown and didn't get talked about yet. I think the sweet spot here is not quite Jorge Mateo, whose limitations as a big league player are not hard to spot when you look at his profile. <laughs> like you can you can see it. And then you see the projection where it's like I think most projection systems have a 270 OBP rest of the way. So you know, tooled up not uh, even for sure. Dude. Not even 270. <laughs> With a high K rate and a low walk rate, it's yeah. it's very easy to just say, yeah, the, the, those speeds are there. For, the, the steals are there for now. Those speed, those steals are there for now. But what happens when the playing time dries up? They're probably not there tomorrow. I, I think this is where someone like John Birdie comes in instead. Because the key to Ari's team for me is that he's already doing well in those other categories. If you're doing really well in runs and homers and RBIs and you're second in OBP, you can afford a player who's a little bit more of a one category player. Yeah. And Birdie's playing enough. Birdie's playing. He started 21 of the last 23 games. It's coming off the IL. There's, there's some injury stuff going on in Miami. That's, that's, that's contributing to that. But I do think that he's the kind of player that there's going to always be something injury wise going on. Right. Yeah, he's versatile enough. He's going to play somewhere most days. So I think because of players like Birdie, I would at least try to get someone like that first. 
because I think Birdie's baseline skills are a little more stable than someone like Mateo's. I don't think you're necessarily giving up a great long-term prospect. This is a single catcher league. I don't know if I'm afraid to give up Kiebert Ruiz for, for Birdie or some kind of deal like that where Ruiz is the main player. If it's a single catcher league. I don't know. If I'm giving up Ruiz, don't know. yeah, single catcher. In a single catcher 12-team league, I did give up Melendez. Um, in 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 just as a comparison, I gave up Melendez uh, for Reese Hoskins. Yeah. I mean, that's just what that's it takes like to get good players. Yeah. And Ruiz is uh, not showing the barrel rate or max EV that you would consider, uh, you know, good for raw power reasons, right? So we've now got, um, in Ruiz's case, we've got 260 uh, batted balls over his career and a 3% barrel rate. So you're talking about a guy who is probably going to give you mostly batting average, uh, and he's not really stealing that often. Okay, you got me. I can't, I can't do it for Jorge Mateo. So I'm like, I don't no, think no. he's a good player. Uh, <laughs> there are way too many paths to Mateo just being a, a 250 plate appearance guy most years in the future. Or even some like Andres Jimenez, right? If you're going to give up young talent that you really like, get some young talent back. Now, Jimenez might not be 20 steals the rest of the way, but he might be 10 to 12 the rest of the way. And it depends on how how close you really are in the category. 10 to 12 over a possible zero might be enough to move you up a few standings points and you've helped possibly solve some of your speed problem for the future. That would be another situation where I'm more inclined to give up a, a significant prospect as opposed to birdie to me is still more of a rental, right? If, if it's birdie plus something for Ruiz, I'm fine giving up Ruiz in that another circumstance. Prospect, like a lesser prospect back or something. Right, right. I wouldn't do it necessarily straight up. So I think you do have to accept the fact that steals in particular are going to be relatively pricey in season because the whole league needs them. Yeah, rest of season projections for steals by the bad X. Jorge Mateo is one of 10 players projected for 15 steals going forward. So if you really need 15 steals, uh, you know, Edmonds at 14. We've just talked about how expensive Edmond would be. Um you know, I, I think if you could get Edmund, then do it. But this person says, like, how much am I, you know, going to pay for it? He's talking about Jorge Mateo. I think Birdie's a good name. What do you think of Miles Straw? Because he is one of the 10 as well. Straw to me for now, it's you're playing the short game because the limitations for him as a hitter are a problem two and three years down the road playing time wise. But he's a great defender in center field. He gets on base enough to be good for the Guardians in that regard. It's like Enciarte, right? Like He's not going to get a free agent contract. It's a fast peak sort of player, Yeah, but that can work for right now as well. So I think I would be willing to trade for Straw despite his fault. There's a lot of stars on this list. It's hard to trade for Trey Turner and Jose know, Ramirez and Jazz Chisholm. Like, like, let's not even discuss Starling Marte, right? Like, it, it's, it, uh, yeah, in a couple of my leagues, I made some really aggressive trades in, in May because I had a shot at Ramirez. I had a shot at Starling Marte, and I thought, I got to get these guys now, even if I have to overpay a little. Then because if someone else gets them, there's not up. really anybody else out there I can get. What do you do with Whit Merrifield right now? He's come up a couple <laughs> times in this show. Like, once a month, we talk about Whit Merrifield. He's I think you put older. him in the. I think you put him in the in in the birdie. I think he's uncomfortably close to birdie and straw. 
you know, you don't trade for Whit Merrifield and say, I've got a steals anchor for three or four years, so I can give up two really good prospects and this is this is guy is gonna play for me and he's a steals anchor. I think he's uncomfortably close to the straw birdie, you know, this might only be a rental for a couple of years. You know? How about mm-hmm. this for a name that has the potential to be a guy that you you're buying high, you may, you might be like just installing him as a steals threat in your lineup if you believe in him, Andres Jimenez. Yeah, no, I I think he fits. I think he makes sense because that's a little bit more like I'm you're buying still getting something good. A middle infielder that I think is going to play every day, have some power and some speed. I mean, I, I like some of the stuff he's doing he definitely improved the barrel rate that's good he does not have a great uh chase rate and the contact seems the contact rate seems soft you know what i mean like he had good contact rates in the minors but they've just been climbing and climbing i just wonder if he's going to strike out 25% of the time going forward you know swing at 40% of the balls he sees what's what's he going to be as a hitter is he going to be more like a 230 hitter? And and you know, is his you know, is he the future shortstop uh for the for the Guardians or is he going to float around? Is he, you know, is he just as flawed as Rosario and we just have you know, he's just pitch, playing better than Rosario right now? It's 40% uh, better than league average so far. Yeah. 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 I I I could see if you really wanted to make a move where you're like, I'm going to buy a guy that I think, you know, can be an anchor for me, then then maybe Jimenez is that. But I just, I'm not sure that Whit, Whit Merrifield is that. I think he fits in the straw and, and birdie kind of a guy I'm buying now for steals that hopefully doesn't cost that much. Here's a, a rolling graph for you. If you happen to be watching on YouTube, Whit Merrifield's rolling 15 game Woba. If you look here, in the emphasis 2022 the section, emphasis on the woe. We saw the very worst of Whit Merrifield, a three-year low back in the first part of the season, but he's at least back close to a acceptable level. I'm not out here trying to defend. Whit no, Merrifield. but show it again because I think it's very interesting. Because uh, you know, we 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 were talking to our colleague uh, John Legesa mm-hmm. about the sort of bands, right? and and the the bands of normalcy and i just if you look at his he got back to a peak right this year even he got hot again he got back to a peak the peak wasn't as good as his peaks in the past right and he had a a nadir this year the nadir was much worse than it was in the past so i just see the whole chart sort of going down into the right where his good streaks are not as good as his good streaks used to be and his bad streaks are worse than they used to be. I agree with that completely, mm-hmm. but he is the type of flawed player that if you're just playing that short-term speed game, I'm willing to try to just squeeze a good second half out of what looks like a player who's clearly just not going to be the guy that he was for the best, better part of the last four years. If you're trying to get Tommy Edmond stats, but not pay Tommy Edmond price, I can see getting with Merrifield. I mean, you might get you might get eighty uh, percent of everything else Tommy Edmond does, maybe, and match him in speed. I think that's possible. Bags come in bunches for guys like Whit Merrifield. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, it's all the the thing that's so hard about uh, having these this podcast, like talking about these things in the podcast is either you get someone to give you like a very specific thing and then everyone's sort of like, oh, well, that's not what I'm looking at in my league. So I don't care. You know, like nobody cares about your fantasy leagues. You have this thing where like either you get something that's super specific and you speak directly to it. Caber Beruz for Jorge Mateo. No, we don't like it. Right. Or then you start to try and talk about things in generalities so you can get more people interested in it and then the generalities you know are guesses <laughs> so mm-hmm. like you know would i trade cabert ruiz for whit merrifield yes we've already established that i would trade cabert ruiz in a one catcher league for john birdie so yes i would i would trade i would trade cabert ruiz for whit merrifield yes <laughs> we got one more question here and i think this also sort of ties into some of the things we've talked about throughout the episode this one came in from matt just a question about will smith the dodgers catcher and thinking about trading him in an eight team dynasty league eight as in eight uh, like mm. a snowman yeah okay. two less than ten <laughs> i don't know how else to clarify it <laughs> eight yes. team dynasty league uh because he will smith is underperforming his his x stats right now uh-huh. and his x stats still look really good so just general question about long-term concerns about yeah, maybe Will Smith having no, I love peaked, him. or what I, do you I make of him? I was looking to try and maybe buy him in my even in a twelve team league where one catcher, I usually just punt the position or or just pick up whoever. Um, and I have Grandal, like I don't need him, but I was I was trying to convince myself that I could I could trade for him and I could get him uh, because I think uh, either maybe not this year, but like one of the next three years, he's going to be the best offensive catcher in the league. Just the look at the combination of walk, strikeout, chase, barrel. It's beautiful. Everything is beautiful. It's the only thing that's not beautiful is the actual results on the field so far, which are decent, you know, for a catcher. I think he's still, you know, giving you top 10 value. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you mentioned chase rate, 97th percentile there, barrel rate, 82nd percentile. It looks really good on the surface and playing time wise I think they're they're messing with him less now than they used to it looks like he's tracking toward a pretty significant number of plate appearances this year as well so yeah, plenty of opportunities of to rebound Austin Barnes taking playing time from him yeah so I think that's the other thing that's working in, in Will Smith's favor as well so he'd be definitely on the list of you know, I think he's more like a traditional sort of buy low where you, you, you know yeah. column that has buy lows in Which it might Will actually be really appears. hard in in today's fantasy baseball <laughs> environment you know what I mean like if your if your league mate is listening to this podcast it's gonna be hard if your league mate <laughs> looks at baseball savant listens to podcasts this one or probably other ones that most likely that person is hearing the hold or go get Will Smith I know and and that actually I think is an interesting uh thing to you know to end on maybe is to writ large is this you know everyone is um got so much information now in fantasy baseball that uh, either you can you can you can have your own model which you know that's that's how I I use pitching plus you know and 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 stuff plus to try and get ahead of other players and 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 identify pitchers faster um you know and and so then you have to sort of pay for those models and and pay for those projections so that you have something that somebody else hadn't paid for you know um or uh sometimes you have to go with your gut like you know the 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 listener that was saying that you thought that we were wrong about Brian Reynolds you know 
he, he turned it around and uh in almost all facets of the game other than swing strike rate he's you know he's kind of been who he was you know and and if you looked at you know if you looked at brian reynolds through this through the lens of you know the sort of stats that we look at here you would have said he's not a buy low we i think that sort of was our conclusion we weren't sure he was a buy low yeah so sometimes the the, the you know it's a, kind of a weird thing that sometimes the thing that separates you can separate you in baseball is to go with your gut just seeing the pirates put an allen wrench on caleb killian tonight that one the model got right i fought the model in this case and the model won (laughs) it's only an nl only league i think it's the only league where i had him active so nl labor but i'm trying to make a comeback there i yeah i don't i don't need well he had that two-star week i did like sort of look at him and be like uh maybe he got in last minute because someone on that team, like Zach Thompson, went on the IL. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll use Killian and You chucked and ducked. I, I think an Allen wrench is a great way to describe a seven, just as a, a snowman's a great way to describe an eight. Uh, on that note. Tell me uh, that O'Neill Cruz had something to do with it, please. Yeah, he doubled. He's got a hard Yay! hit ball. He's got a fire emoji in the box score. Yay. Love those modern box scores <laughs> over at Baseball Savant. Uh, if you've got a question for a future episode, you can send those our way. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email. Yeah, I'm a little behind on emails again. It's June. Of course, I'm behind on emails. Why wouldn't I be? But I'm not moving next month. So maybe you know I'll, I'll make up some ground here in the next few weeks. On Twitter, he's at Enosaris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. You can also get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you later this week thanks for listening